Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Kelly Saldana. Hey, Kelly, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very, very well. And, you know, I should have said probably that it's not just about business. We're going to be talking about governments and we're going to talk about aid and uh, really kind of solving some of the biggest world problems. Uh, Kelly Saldana is the Vice President of Systems Strengthening and Resiliency at Apt Associates. Uh, Apt Associates is uh, an incredible consultancy. They write and explain themselves as an engine for social impact, fueled by caring, curiosity, and cutting-edge research that moves people from vulnerability to security. And Kelly's one of their new recruits. So she's a new member. She's actually spent almost the last 20 years in, at USAID. And we'll be talking about her journey and everything that she's been working on, as well as uh, what she's going to be doing at Apt Associates. So Kelly, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Sure. Um, so I was a Peace Corps volunteer, as, as most people, a lot of people in the development profession are um, a Peace Corps volunteer in Nicaragua in the late 90s. Um, and then I was in graduate school for a couple of years, looked for a job in international development, couldn't find one. Um, so wound up uh, working for the state of North Carolina um, in their immunization program. So mm -hmm. figuring out how to deliver vaccines to children across the state of North Carolina. Um, I really wanted to work internationally though. So I kept my eye out and um, landed at USAID a couple of years later in the Latin America Bureau. Uh, working on health system strengthening and really quickly realized that a lot of the work that I did in North Carolina had a lot of parallels to health system strengthening. And so recognizing that it's about thinking through supply chains and data systems and governance and service delivery and, and all of these various components. So I found a lot of parallels to that work and, and really enjoyed it. I spent about seven years in the Latin America Bureau and then um, got a job at the in the Global Health Bureau. Mm -hmm. um, as the deputy director of the Office of Health, Infectious Diseases and Nutrition. So uh, really covering everything that USAID does in the global health space, except for HIV and family planning. So included oversight of our malaria programs, our neglected tropical diseases programs, maternal child health, nutrition, global health security, health systems, tuberculosis. I think I got them all. <laughs> um, I think you, you win a prize just being able to <laughs> reel that off so clearly. Well, I, it was my job for six years. I, I represented all of those programs. So I got really good at it. Um, and then in 2017, I became the director of the Office of Health Systems. Um, so the office that I had been in sort of broke up into smaller offices. And, and one of them was the Office of Health Systems. Uh, so I was the director there for about five years before joining out. That's great. And now, you know, you're a newly minted member of the APT Associates team. So I'm excited to learn more about what you're going to be working on at APT Associates and, and really understand what this uh, strengthening and resiliency focuses on. Sure. So, you know, I think a lot of my work in health systems, um, 
translates over. One of the things uh, in the field of health systems that we started saying maybe five or six years ago is instead of strong health systems, we wanted resilient health systems. And, you know, and so one of the things I did in, in my role as the director is really ask the question, what, is, what does it mean to be a resilient health system? I think now um, because of COVID, everybody has a really good idea of what it means to be resilient. And, and what it means is not only do you have all of the functions in place, but in times of crisis, you sort of find ways to adapt and transform as necessary to continue doing those services. But really, I think systems approaches in general are growing in the field of development. And so my role at APT is looking at system strengthening and its associated effects of resiliency across a full portfolio that's broader than just health. Wow. And, you know, when we think about that topic of resiliency, I guess probably the next question is quite obvious. How are we doing with this? It seems to me that every day, whether it be the pandemic or now the latest monkeypox thing, there's always some new crisis. How are we doing with resiliency these days? I think it's mixed across the board. One of the issues with resiliency is it's hard to measure it in advance. So it's it's sort of after the effect, after the fact, you find out were you resilient or not. Um, but trying to figure out what is what does it take to be resilient um, and, and to build it up from the start is, is a challenge. Um, there's certainly efforts related to what's called the Global Health Security Agenda, which um, largely measure countries' capacities around um, international health regulations that were passed by WHO and the extent to which they have the systems in place for the public health kinds of things that you would need to be able to do to respond, prevent, detect, or respond to a public health emergency. But what we found uh, with COVID is a lot of countries that scored really well on those capacity assessments did not perform quite as well um, in the face of COVID as, as might have been expected. And so what, really there's a movement towards um, doing a better job of, of bringing in systems thinking and systems approaches into this. And so I boil that down to, are you, analyzing a problem from multiple different perspectives. So not just, you know, avoiding the hammer nail problem. So if you're an economist, I used to always say that um, economists think that everything can be solved with a financing solution. Um, but, you know, perhaps if you look at it from a service delivery angle, there's more um, of a solution there from a local person. It's more about sort of involvement of local communities. And, and really the point is, taking a, a wide look at lots of different perspectives, analyzing the problem, seeing if we can create consensus on, on what solutions might be, and then where are there opportunities, and where are there sort of roadblocks where you know nothing's gonna move on that, so let's try something else. And all the while doing that, building um, the capacity of clients and uh, local actors to take on sort of that kind of analysis on their own so that when something unexpected happens, they're able to adapt and adjust, which is really the hallmark of resiliency. You alluded to the fact that during the pandemic, maybe some of the modeling around resiliency was challenged. Um, what happened there and how are things shifting in terms of how you guys model that out? That's a good question. I think, um, I think people always look for the, the easy and, and linear solution. 
And, you know, and it's easy to understand, it's easy to identify. So you look at something like with COVID, um, you know, well, if we just vaccinate everybody, COVID will go away. And so, you know, we just need to vaccinate everybody. But then when you get into it, there's a lot more to it. We need to get the vaccines to people. They, you know, they have ultra cold chain requirements. You need to keep them cold the whole time that you're vaccinating them. Then you need people to be accepting of the vaccine and, and willing to take it. And then, you know, likely follow up and, you know, a month or two months for a second shot and a booster dose. And so I think we tend to oversimplify things to try and explain them to people or to try and break them down into actionable components instead of, I think, embracing some of the complexity and the, and the messiness and recognizing that the, the path to vaccinating somebody in one country or in one community might be different than what it looks like in another country or another community. And it really is about understanding that local context. And then how do you do that in a way that's sort of actionable and understood the way that people like to think, but allowing for sort of change and complexity within it. You know, I really like that. One of the other companies that I work with runs the largest transportable medical air conditioning company for markets like India. And so as you can imagine, you know, during COVID, keeping all of the vaccines uh, cold and fresh was quite a challenge. And um, he was explaining to me the difficulties that even though, you know, he was quite proud of their system, when you're dealing with markets that have faulty electrics and even generators that fail, how you manage that process, it's yeah, quite challenging. I think that's an example of resiliency in and of itself, right? I think, you know, if you remember in the early days of COVID, there were a lot of vaccines in the pipeline and, and a lot that were coming through. And I think the expectation was, was that the vaccines that came online that, that were like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or AstraZeneca that didn't necessarily require the ultra cold chain would be better off for countries where it's more difficult to, to extend that technology all the way out to the last mile. But then what came online first were the vaccines that required the ultra cold chain. And so if we wanted to get them out, we have to figure out then how to adapt and absorb to the fact that they require this new technology. And it's that kind of ability to sort of think on your feet, make the changes in real time. That's resiliency. You just want to be able to take that to sort of a large scale, not only in health, but in, you know, in markets and education and, you know, across the development portfolio. Yeah, no, I can see that. Uh, wow, what a great challenge. What a great job you have, Kelly. But I mean, 2022 is not a year where we are short of challenges. <laughs> so I'm curious as to what's on the docket for 2022 as you move into this new role. Um, sure. I think related to all of this work is um, the increasing trend towards localization and um, what is called in, in health circles and aid circles is sort of decolonizing development, sort of growing out of the, the whole movement for diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is I think a relook at the way that aid is delivered and are we too sort of colonialistic or you know are we too rooted in a history that doesn't necessarily reflect the countries where we're working. And I think USAID is trying to figure out what to do about that. And then com companies like APT, where USAID is a main client, are also trying to figure out where to respond. And so one of the things is I think there's an increasing desire to give grants to local organizations. So taking a company like APT 
and making our role more of a facilitative role than a direct service provider role of, of technical assistance where we're facilitating other local organizations, connecting them with the resources they need and, and helping them to understand how to eventually be able to take on work directly from USAID. And so it, it is this development mantra of how do you work yourself out of a job? But I think at the same time, thinking of it in the perspective of a company like APT, it's also thinking, okay, well, we don't really want to work ourselves out of a job, but we want to figure out how is that job changing and what might the future hold for it? And so perhaps, you know, several years into the future, if we've correctly built the capacity and resiliency of local organizations, they become our clients and they continue to seek the consultative services on sort of how to manage awards or governments themselves are asking for the kind of support that aid provide or that apt provides now on behalf of USAID, but then directly to government so sort of thinking through how do we position ourselves now to respond to this trend and then which also positions us to a potential future in which the the client relationship is different it's such an interesting challenge and you know one can imagine the fragmentation of working with multiple organizations certainly raises the complexity i would imagine i hope that technology can make your life a little bit easier kelly um but it's quite an amazing effort and i love actually the direction kelly it's been amazing talking with you about the work that you're doing at apt associates if someone wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about the work that you're doing how best should they get in touch uh linkedin is probably the the best way to get in touch with me you can uh, send me a, a message on linkedin or, or a request to connect and I'd, I'd be happy to follow up that's great um we've been speaking with kelly Soldania. she's a new vice president of systems strengthening and resiliency at the consultancy apt associates she brings over 20 years of experience from usaid also i probably you know would have loved to delve into your amazing stories i'm sure you have in the peace corps but uh kelly is doing an amazing job and leads technical solution and approaches on international development projects and proposals providing thought leadership on system strengthening and resilience across apt's full portfolio not a shortage of things to think about for you kelly over the next several years but thank you so much for sharing on uncaged today and we look forward to having you back thank you cheers <laughs> <laughs>